This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. There are bombs bursting across the U.S. and around the world day in, day out, and children are often to blame. If you haven't heard anything about these bombs, you might have eaten some of their results. These are pool toys containing glitter and microbeads that burst apart through playing or accidents with the glittery, beady contents polluting aquatic and human environments and complicating the already pervasive environmental problem of microplastic pollution. Katie Senf, a field researcher with the University of California Davis Tahoe Environmental Research Center, is one of the scientists studying the problem. She joins us for this Biz News podcast. Microplastics is what I'm here to talk to you about today. And so just kind of a little bit of background on microplastics. They're generally defined as pieces of plastic that are five millimeters or smaller in size. So that's about the size of a grain of rice. So anything smaller than a grain of rice is considered a microplastic. Um, These plastics can be um, from things like face washes, your cosmetics. They have really small plastics called microbeads in them. Um, And those are considered primary microplastics because when they're released, they're already that, you know, smaller than than a grain of rice. Um, There's also secondary microplastics, which are produced when larger pieces of plastic like water bottles, um, beach toys, any other kind of plastic gets broken down in the environment. So things like UV radiation, uh, wind, waves, those all slowly break down larger pieces of plastic over time and eventually they will fall into that microplastics category. And you, you found a, a lot of these beads of plastic uh, in your research at Lake Tahoe. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so recently we had this really unfortunate uh, incident where one of my coworkers went to the beach after work as we often do, living in a beautiful place like Tahoe. And when she was walking down to the water, she noticed what looked like snow right at the edge of the water line. And while we do have a lot of snow in Lake Tahoe, it should not be there in July. So she went down to inspect a little closer and saw it was not snow, but it was uh, a bunch of small styrofoam beads that were floating right at the water line. Um, And she looked around and found a beach toy that um, it was like a fabric covered beach toy. It kind of looked like a sea monster, but it was stuffed with these microbeads so when that outside tour, these microbeads just were, you know, micro plastic balls just went all over the beach sand and whoever had brought this pool toy with them left it. So they left all the trash, they left it on the beach leaking more of these um, tiny styrofoam balls. And so my coworker sounded the alarm she posted on social media Um, what was happening and luckily members of the community came out with rakes and colanders and sieves and whatever they could think of and they were able to to clean up most of it within the next 24 hours. When this gets mixed in with the sand, uh, the sand at Lake Tahoe, for those who have not been there, is is kind of coarse. It's it's not quite sandy sand, it's kind of coarse stuff and it's hard to tell the difference between the beads of plastic 
and the grains of sand, right? Yeah, I mean, with Tahoe, we have everything from really cobbly, gravelly beaches to really fine sand at places like Sand Harbor. Um, but it doesn't matter what kind of substrate you have, once you get these tiny pieces of plastic in there, we don't have the technology to remove it. And unfortunately, we don't have bands of volunteers that are gonna go down to the beach every day with magnifying glasses and, and try to pick it out. Um, we're really lucky that that instance that I just you know explained to you was kind of contained and people are able to get on top of it right away. Um, but every time I take my daughter to the beach, you know, I'm, I'm looking pretty closely at the sand and I always see little bits of microplastics and, you know, soda bottle caps and abandoned chip bags and cigarette butts, all the things you don't want to see at a beautiful, you know, beach. Some of this was apparently accidental. Some uh, perhaps just because people are, a lot of people are sloppy, but the problem certainly isn't caused by those two things alone, is it? No, so there's a couple different ways that we get microplastics into the natural environment. So I think one of the primary ones that we see up at Tahoe is kind of just what you talked about. People being sloppy, people not securing their garbage at their homes. We have a lot of bears in Tahoe. And so if you don't secure your trash properly, the bears will go in there looking for a snack and they're very sloppy eaters and leave garbage all over the road, which can get blown into the forest, into streams, and that ends up in the lake. Also, unfortunately, when some people recreate at Lake Tahoe, they're not so good about picking up after themselves. So um, some places you go to, like after the 4th of July every year, um, the Leak Save Lake Tahoe does a big beach, beach cleanup, and they get hundreds of pounds of trash off the beaches every year on July 5th. So it's really unfortunate to see people, you know, treat our natural environment that way. But it's not just trash that's contributing to microplastics in our natural environment. Um, they can also get blown in with the wind. So atmospheric deposition could be bringing plastics from other places in. And then also a big one that fortunately we don't have in Lake Tahoe is wastewater. So when you wash your clothes, a lot of our clothing is synthetic. So every time you wash your clothes, it sheds fibers. Those get into the wastewater. And in most places, it goes through a wastewater treatment plant. They catch what they can and the rest goes into the river or the lake. In Tahoe, we've actually been taking our wastewater and moving it out of the basin since 1968. So it was originally started, we originally started doing that because they didn't want all the nutrients getting into the lake to cause like algal blooms and the water clarity to decrease. But by doing that, they actually saved millions and billions of microfibers from getting put into the lake as well when it comes to plastics. So, Is, is there any solution? I, we, we have seen stories over the past few years of people out in the ocean in, in boats with big boom-like contraptions trying to scoop the stuff up. But mm -hmm. I mean, that's like trying to bail the ocean with a teaspoon, isn't it? Yes. I, the, the best thing we can do is keep them from getting in the natural environment in the first place. Currently, there is no technology to remove those microplastics once they're in our natural environment. So the best thing that we can do is not put them there in the first place. Um, I hope that there's, you know, some young budding engineer out there um, that can, can come up with a solution to getting microplastics out of water. But 
right now that doesn't exist. So we really need to do our best to keep them out in the first place. What happens, uh, help our audience understand, what happens when animals eat this stuff, but swallowing it uh, accidentally, I suppose, or in the case of some things, uh, they might think it's food. Yeah, so um, in Lake Tahoe, as an example, we have this bright red zooplankton that lives in the lake. Um, so you can imagine that as the fish are swimming around, it might be easy to mistake a piece of bright red plastic for, for their, their food, because um, they do look pretty similar, you know, tiny bright red zooplankton, tiny bright red piece of plastic. Um, so sometimes animals do accidentally consume um, plastic thinking it's food. And sometimes, you know, once they get in their systems, it can cause uh, their GI tracts to get clogged up. Um, sometimes they become so full of plastics, they, they starve because there is no room for their natural food to fit anymore. Um, so it can really fill their bellies and cause a lot of issues um, for animals. And the other way that plastics can be really detrimental is they kind of act like a magnet for different toxins in the environment. So things like PCBs and DDT absorb well to plastics. And as you have these big pieces of plastic that break down even smaller, you have a larger surface area for all these toxins to adhere to. So you have these little plastic magnets, or not plastic, you know, pieces of plastic that act like magnets or chemicals floating around. And they absorb all these different toxins and then they can get consumed by zooplankton, which can then get consumed by fish, which then get consumed by us or bears or eagles or you know other other creatures out there in the environment. So those are the two two ways that microplastics can really be detrimental to to the animals out there. You have mentioned a couple of times that the plastic breaks down. Some of our audience might be saying, well, if it's breaking down into little bead-like things, why doesn't it just break down into nothingness? Is that possible? No, not really. So there's actually a size class smaller than microplastics called nanoplastics. Um, and that's a new field of research that's been gaining a lot of traction in the last few years because plastic doesn't biodegrade um, like you might, like, like food does, you know, it doesn't break down like wood does into carbon and it's kind of basic elements. It just breaks down into ever smaller pieces, um, but it doesn't necessarily go away. Um, so nanoplastics will probably be a term that you'll hear a lot in the next 10 years because it's like the new frontier of plastics research is looking at what happens once it's, you know, beyond that microplastic size because it does not go away. Plastics, they are forever, it would seem. They are, yeah. Like at least longer than us. <laughs> longer than a slogan for the plastics industry that you may not want to uh, adopt. Yes. <laughs> what else should we know about this that I haven't been bright enough to ask you? Uh, well, one thing I want to point out is that plastics are not evil. Um, they serve a great purpose in, in our everyday lives. You know, we wouldn't have computers. We wouldn't have great medical care. We wouldn't have, you know, the cars that we have. And, and plastics are great because they're light. There's a less, you know, smaller carbon footprint because you're transporting light things around. But the bad part about our plastics culture is the single use aspect of it. You know, people buy something like a coffee 
or they use their plastic water bottle instead of reusable one. And that's just one piece of plastic that served a purpose for 10 minutes. And now it's gonna be trash and it's gonna be there for you know centuries and potentially breaking down and getting into the environment and causing a lot of issues. So when I talk about microplastics being a problem, I don't wanna make plastics an evil thing. They serve a lot of great purposes. I think it's about people being responsible consumers of plastics, you know, cause there's a responsibility with being on this planet. We have to treat it well. Um, and that comes back to every single person. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching. Thank you.